Now, let me explain how the whole world is being controlled by a depersonalized concept known as technique. Don't drink the water, you're going to pass out. Oh my God, what the fuck is happening? The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. Well, one, I wanted to ask you, do you know anything interesting about the Unabomber? Because the Unabomber died. When this will be coming out, it'll be uh, a little bit ago. But he just died. And uh, such an interesting guy. Do you know anything? Because you read that book by Jock Alul, which inspired him in some part, I guess. Well... The technical society. I don't really know. Technological society. Mm. I do have some thoughts on it. And I read a weird article, which literally I might still have that tab open because it was so strange to me. And I was like, I want to figure out what this means. But it was around the time he he just published something, I feel like, like not that long ago from jail somehow. Like he wrote like a book got published of his or something. It was something strange. And I was like, wait a minute how and why like that doesn't it just something seemed off about it and i never figured that out never got to the bottom of it but uh there was a moment in time there where he kind of was like having a moment what do you mean like culturally like there was a show i feel like on netflix or something that was kind of about him basically like based on him it was uh there were documentaries also popping up like on Netflix or Hulu, whichever streaming service I was seeing. I I just started noticing it so much so that I think I even mentioned it to Monica because then Monica was like getting advertised. She, she tells the story now where all of a sudden that work I'm pretty, or some work of his started becoming advertised, like suggested, you know, like on Amazon or something. And so she bought it and she talked, she talks about that because she's like that. How weird is it that I bought that book? Like that's so stupid. Like why did I why did I give them my address? <laughs> I see he he published a couple. So in 2016 he published one called Anti Tech Revolution: Why and How, and then in 2020 he published a revised second edition. Mm. He also that was the in one. Two, oh okay. He also published uh, the Road to Revolution in 2008, and in. 2022 published Technological Slavery Volume 1, the enhanced fourth edition of that book. So he was doing doing quite a a bit of publishing from jail, apparently. Yeah, that's that's weird, right? I mean, something about that, I I thought, this is weird. So anyway, there was that moment he was having, I think it was probably with that last publishing of that last edition of whatever. And uh, I usually don't believe that kind of stuff happens on accident. I don't know if it was some kind of rights that the publisher had that got him this kind of random publicity all of a sudden for a moment very recently, like within the past few years. But it's weird. And here's the other thing I know. Everyone that I know that's read his work says uh, the same thing. They all say, well, he's right. Mm-hmm. But well, you but you shouldn't send the bombs in the mail. Like that's basically what he says. Like he, there, he's right, but the violence thing. 
It is interesting. So just some facts. Uh, his name is Ted Kaczynski. Uh, Theodore. The Unabomber. Theodore. Oh, Theodore. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Theodore is his full first name. Commonly um, known as Uncle Uncle Ted. Oh, okay. And Unabomber, I didn't know this. It's because uh, he was a university and airline bomber. So it combined to be Unabomber. But yeah, he went to the University of Michigan and he was a professor for a second at the University of California, Berkeley. Yeah, because he was kind of like a genius, so they say. And yes. he was MK Ultra by the MK Ultra people, basically. Yes, there was a. In his case, lawyers talked about a, quote, purposefully brutalizing psychological experiment led by Harvard psychologist Henry Murray, um, which was... Fuck you, Henry. Yeah, in some sort of form of mind control research. And so they were using that as argument that that, you know, made him more angry toward the state and uh, skeptical of that sort of stuff. So anyway... That's so fucked up because I think there's many angles you could you could look at that from. One of them is this, and I I feel that you know. So this idea that this guy got had some interesting views, you know, about the yes. world and technology. Well, he was a very smart child, and they said that he skipped a grade, and then he became very socially isolated, being younger than the other kids, and kind of in his head, and maybe got bullied, and so. Yeah, and he had yeah. like a brother. There was there's all sorts of stuff, but yeah, yeah. So, so you take somebody. So I'm just saying. So what was the, what were the years? Give me like a, a year where he was like, or when when did he get mind controlled? Um, what year was that? At age 15, he was accepted to Harvard and entered the university on a scholarship in 1958. At age 16. So oh my God! So it was a 60s. So even more culture. The early more, 60s. Yeah. So even more revolutionary kind of vibes. So yeah, and late. Well, who knows now, but kind of like late industrial stuff for America, maybe, you know, kind of like a transition to technology, mm. you know, where right. things are ramping up a lot. So you take a guy that's got theories and whatever ideas in that kind of uh, environment. In a volatile this, age, too. He was oh uh, yeah, late adolescence. So they take this guy who already felt kind of weird, you know, because he's young and he's probably looked at a little, not bullied, but probably like, who's this short kid? You know, whatever. But in the, so the experiment that they did with him basically was really fucked up. Right. Just to describe it, it said, among other goals, the experiments that Murray was running were, uh, they sought to measure individuals' responses to extreme stress. The unwitting undergraduates, uh, there were around 22, uh, were submitted to what Murray called vehement, sweeping, and personally abusive attacks, specifically tailored to assault their egos, cherished ideas, and beliefs. Um, they were used to cause high levels of stress and dis distress. Yeah, so that's fucked up. Um, and they, uh, the subjects were then viewed the recorded footage of their reactions to this verbal abuse repeatedly. So talk about shame, too. Yeah, literally, like, strap you to a chair, hold your eyeballs open, and watch this, watch you look like an idiot over and over again, or whatever. You right. know, just and the, not Ted that's... Kaczynski was only 17 years old when he was part of that experiment, apparently. Right. So. So then he goes, like you were just saying a minute ago, and it forms, help, basically helps him form these ideas 
that what what read that thing you read you the it was like the last sentence you read before I started talking. There was like a it really encapsulated what I was what where my point is going here. Well, so in his case, uh, when he was being tried as a Unabomber, his lawyers brought up these experiments that had been run on him and uh, described them as purposefully brutalizing psychological experiment and uh, that they may have, you know, turned him toward being skeptical of what was going right. on at the university in general, in society, um, skeptical exactly. of higher yes. education, all these sorts of things. That was so their argument. I think if I if I thought about it, there's a piece of me that that's actually like one of the linchpin arguments for my detest of the system, the government and everything, because this is how the argument goes. These people might be psycho, brutal, like absolute scum of the earth. You know, they're the bulwark of progress in our society and where we're going. These academics, these Harvard professors, these MIT, whatever, wherever these he's like floating around in. And what they're doing to him is, in fact, unconscionable. So for those people who think that like 9-11 was an inside mm. job or somebody within the power structure assassinated Kennedy mm. or whatever, all these little these trauma that are pulled off against the public you all you need is one and you're like this is unforgivable fuck these people these people are actually evil therefore who fucking cares what happens to them pull out the guillotines like they will literally destroy people just to gain a little bit of data just to get some just for some data they'll abuse children basically is what and so how do you ever how do you ever undo that in the mind of somebody that has experienced that? Like, and why? And from my perspective, and people who are highly skeptical, not of course the people in power might attempt to undo it because we don't want you all thinking we're horrible people. But once someone does something like that to you, that's like essentially unforgivable. I'm then I'm not going to forgive you. I will never trust you again. You're you're at the head here. You are this kind of a person. You do not deserve to be there. This has got to end. Yeah. Like, well, it's these really are the bad people too running because the- apparently, you know, he was, when he started at Harvard, was put in this, you know, intimate living space for the youngest and most precocious incoming students. So it's supposed to be, you know, he's like a very vulnerable student, you would think, at the university. And then, yeah, more on those experiments. Apparently, um, those experiments, they lasted three years with someone verbally abusing and humiliating him each week. And he spent over 200 hours as part of the study. So just, yeah, the amount of abuse that he went through is insane. Yeah. And, you know, I think with him coming off of, you know, being in uh, inspired by people like Jacques Ellul. I mean, Jacques Ellul was like a highly nonviolent individual, completely, basically nonviolent. He had extreme views and thought, but it was very much so against violence. But he wrote, what was it called? The Technological Society, mm-hmm. which is kind of like this blueprint of like how how we're where we're going, how we're getting there, and really broke it down. And he focuses on technique. This is this thing called technique. And once you, if you buy it, what he's writing, then... You know, this 
technological age for Kaczynski appeared to be one of the grand culprits. And if you look at where we've come since then, you can hardly deny it. I mean, the the words like technological at the time almost meant something different than they mean now. I mean, now we have like chat GPT and all this other Techno- tracking technology. I mean, there's scanners in the airports. There's cell phones in your pockets. You know, the military's compl- and utterly involved in everything internet. The military invented the internet. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. the NSA invented Google. The Defense Department invented GPS location. I mean, to me, I feel like I can't even think of like what to say to convince people because it's so clear to me that this that there's a line of thinking here that's just absolutely true. Which is, what would you say that that, what is the point of the technological society? And then you were saying technology is different than we have today and how so? Well, so Elul, think, he, he seemed to, I never made it through the whole book. I'm still working on it. It's pretty dense. And I started like recording podcast episodes, so I was going through it very, very slowly. But what I started to discover, and I this was even like in the intro and in the whoever wrote the intro, the translator, like it seemed like it was mentioned like three or four times early on in the book, you know, and not even just by Elul, that doesn't have to be like highly directed and focused. It doesn't have to be like a like a cigar smoke filled room with a bunch of evil, like a three or four evil dudes or something, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. What it is, is this development of something that Elul called technique, which is like, so imagine just anything, you know, let's, we could use, maybe like we could use the car or something. The cars were invented before Henry Ford. However, Henry Ford, as we all know, developed the manufacturing mass manufacturing system, of the car yeah mm-hmm. assembly lines essentially right and so this is like things in general so that's like technique in a way it really is as simple as what we know of as like technique technique is like what a way of doing something and it's it's highly linked with like efficiency and it little points out things like like a, a weapon or a sword or something like a sword back in the olden times, you know, would it would he points out that it would be impossible to conceive of like a sword that wasn't beautiful, basically. Mm. But then eventually it becomes that gets put aside. And in fact, those things things to beautify things are simply inefficient and taking away almost from the effectiveness of the thing. So we strip away everything that isn't fully technique, isn't fully uh, efficient, isn't fully utilitarian almost. The, yes, useful in the best way of doing the thing. And Elul says this would be applied just like it is to the sword or to the clock or to the car. It will also be applied in other realms. It'll be applied in military strategy. It will pl- be applied in bureaucracy, in lobbying so sort of like a cultural way of thinking and applying our daily lives and our institutions and progress and and this he believed was was highly to steal a term that maybe he didn't use but the others have very alienating to the individual so eventually the individual becomes like so decoupled just like in the uh, assembly line where you're just turning 
the worker is a guy in a factory in front of a mo- a belt that moves by, and he tightens the bolts on the hinge that hold the door on. And then it just goes by, and then that's all that guy does. He's a bolt tightener. He just tightens bolts. So he's he's not involved in like a meaningful way, or it becomes more and more difficult mm-hmm. to feel like you're in doing anything meaningful. And that has just become iterated, uh, yeah. iteration upon iteration upon iteration to where we are today, where everybody actually, it's almost difficult to understand what Elu was talking about because we all do that. Well, it's We're a waste all of just your creative bolts. potential in some way because it's like, it doesn't require you to be like cognitively awake to do something so mundane as tighten a bolt, you know, over and over. I feel like in some very just fundamental sense, it's a waste of your potential. Yeah. I mean, think of how proud people who are artisanal builders or something are of their things and how that the technique for that kind of thing is fully undeveloped. Yeah. Well, to conclude your argument, too, to go back to Elul's definition of technique, uh, the term as he uses it, quote, does not mean machines, technology or this or that procedure for attaining an end. Rather, in our technological society, technique is the totality of methods rationally arrived at and having absolute efficiency for a given stage of development in every field of human activity. In every field. Its characteristics are new. The technique of the present has no common measure with that of the past. This is literally a quote from his book. Like, I remember that quote. So Ted Kaczynski is influenced by this theory and Elul does a really good job of making the case. Right. And Elul is also very smart, right? Like Ted Kaczynski was very high IQ, highly intelligent person. I think Elul was also similar. I don't know what you would call him because I just, I found that reading his work to be a weird experience. He's also French. So translating his work is a little difficult Sure, because the French talk kind of weird but the guy that did translate this book about technique, the technological society, was that what it was called? Yeah. So, so that that guy did an amazing job. There's even a whole couple pages in there just by the translator who all who like made his own attempt to basically say in the intro like what Elul was trying to say and like how the word was translated like technique. It's kind of a funny word for it because like you said, it's like technique. It's like, that's just how I do something like the technique for like buttering bread is to like soften the butter and wipe it on, whatever. (laughs) But it's so much more than that. You know, it's like this, it's like this all encompassing model and that's where we are. And so you give that, Kaczynski buys into that, which he did apparently and, and so much more then it starts to be, I can imagine how it becomes so dire important mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, to him. You know, like, oh my God, this literally is taking over every aspect of our entire being. Right. And then you were abused at the hands of psychological professors and all for what? Right. Like to gain data. Yeah. For technique. Yeah, exactly. In the name of technique, right. in the name of perfecting and making efficient everything, including because it's going to touch every single facet. So you just name the thing that's going on, the technique will be applied. So we want to understand the human mind. We want to control the human mind. Any idea or thing you want to do that you want to develop applies, a technique becomes applied to that thing. And it becomes its most intense, efficient, and extreme. If if like the atom bomb or whatever is real, that's another iteration of it. It's like 
we make like things go boom, we make things go boom. Let's make things go boom that can go boom on a whole city. Let's now, so they say, we have things that go boom that could destroy the world. So they say. So it just keeps go. It's just this. Right. It's like the utilitarian monster is already here. Yeah. Yes. So you said you had a weird experience reading the book, though. What do you mean by that? Like you're talking about Alul's writing? Because because to me something about and it might have just been the word technique. Something about it. It was persuasive. There were piece bits and pieces where I was like, I would just wonder, like, is this true? You know, like it seems very true, but like, how do I know that this like tome that he's written? It's a long book. Is right. It's very academic in a way because he goes through like other really prominent thinkers at the time, like Toynbee and I don't, I can't remember all the guys, but he goes through these theories and says like, these people think that it's, that this is what's going on. That so therefore like technique might not be what's happening. Instead, it's simply something about efficiency. Like they were focused on like this or that aspect of like the technological growth and progress. Mm. And Elul was like, kind of coming back to technique. So like, it seemed as if technique had at one time been like a theory and then we had just continued on and new theories were developed, you know, just that's so common, you know, in academia, whatever the fad is basically like we don't, oh, we don't study that anymore in psychology. That's Freud is like old school, young, old school. We've moved past that. It's just cognitive behavioral therapy. Now there's no psychoanalysis. That's all garbage. Next, you know, on to the next thing, whatever everybody picks up. And I feel like what Elul was doing is going, wait, let's step back. Let's go back to technique. No, technique is the thing. We had it. We were right. Let me prove that to you. And he goes back through to like the dawn of time, basically, where... It's a history of everything. Yeah. Like he talks about like, he even talks about magic and that like, Oh, or in like a spirituality kind of thing and that th- not real magic, but that how we understood things and how it just like alchemy. Yeah. Like how it progressed through the the generations and became technique. Yeah. Young talked about stuff. And like it is, that. Pers- it's really persuasive. And I kept thinking there's something weird. It's just like that, psych- that uh, AI philosophy course I took where the teacher goes, Let's just go ahead and cross out consciousness. Here's one, two, and three, intelligence, something else, and consciousness. Screw consciousness. We're not going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about the other. I feel like that uh, was kind of happening, maybe. So what what did Ilua cross off the board? He's like, we're going to talk about like where we've come as a society, but let's cross out intention, individual intention. We're not going to focus on individuals doing things you know, that are evil. We're just going to look at it as a as a, in a non-biased kind of way. And I said, just like I did in that philosophy class, actually, the one thing I'm going to hold on to and question the entire time is the very thing you wanted to set aside. Because I see some of that. And I think maybe, I don't know because I haven't read Kaczynski's book, but that, that might be the piece that Kaczynski pulled back in. He said, no, f- fuck you, Elul. He didn't say that. He loved Elul. <laughs> but he said, basically, fuck that. Like, there's people doing this, and I'm going to send them bombs in the mail. Right. Well, to your point, a lot of the bombings that he, or bombs that he sent, most of them were to higher institutions of learning, so universities, where he was, you know, abused, so. And I understand the drive to do that, but the fact that he thought that would be effective is interesting. Although, what he, what did he want when that happened? All he wanted was 
his shit to be published in the in the newspaper. He said, I'll keep bombing people unless you post this. So they posted like some 35,000 word thing in the newspaper that Kaczynski wrote. Mm. So that's all he really wanted, supposedly. But I think that the... I think there's probably a, a dual thing there because there are ways of thinking about the world and where we're going where you might come to the conclusion where like like we said last time, sometimes the tree of liberty needs to be watered with the blood of patriots and tyrants, you know? And it's like, it, it, so at a certain point you go, hey, you know, Elul, <clears throat> you wanted to be like all nonviolent and just talk about it and shit, but how's that working out? Nobody gives a fuck what you're saying, okay? Nobody's going to do anything. It's just going to keep marching forward. And if we don't stop these psychopaths, nothing's going to happen. And it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. seems as if it has. So that's why, to me, reading in Lua, I'm like, how I wanted to know, how did you hold on to this concept throughout this whole book that there's no kind of let's say directed action it almost maybe the thing that tickled me weird about that was that it was it seemed maybe antithetical to his own theory that like planning on like an individual basis wouldn't have technique applied to it so like individuals gaining power like finding their way to the top of the pyramid wasn't going to follow the same path that everything else did why wouldn't that happen why wouldn't power brokers ancient families like the why wouldn't the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, all these generational wealth from like the dawn of our modern history, why wouldn't they also march down the same path that you say is unavoidable? You know what I mean? It's prevalent, but it's... He left out intention. Almost like it's almost like it's natural or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, e- even if it is natural, why wouldn't... It, it doesn't like mean that people don't, conspire that's like conspiracy is a thing if everything that we can conceive of can have technique applied to it why not conspiracy oh so he's you're saying he left out the conspiracy part you're saying both are true that this technique thing can be a way of thinking that's gripped the culture and people with power can conspire together here i literally just opened to one of the pages i this is written by robert merton one of the intros i'll just read this paragraph in elul's conception then life is not happy in a civilization dominated by technique even the outward show of happiness is brought oh sorry is bought at the price of total acquiescence the technological society requires men to be content with what they are required to like for those who are not content it provides distractions escape into absorption with technically dominated media of popular culture and communication Here's the key. And the process is a natural one. Okay. Every part of a technical civilization responds to the social needs generated by technique itself. Progress, then, consists in progressive dehumanization, a busy, pointless, in the end, suicidal submission to technique. The essential point, according to Alul, is that technique produces all of this without plan no one wills it or arranges that it be so our technical civilization does not result from a machiavellian scheme it is a response to the 
quote, laws of development, end quote, of technique. Mm. In proposing and expanding and expanding this thesis, Ilul reopens the great debate over the social, political, economic, and philosophical meaning of technique in the modern age. We need not agree with Ilul to learn from him. He has given us a provocative book in the sense that he has provoked us to re-examine our assumptions and to search out the flaws in his own gloomy forecasts. By doing so, he helps us to see beyond the ba- the banal assertion that ours has become a mass society, and he leads us to a greater understanding of that society. So it's interesting. Okay, I see what you're saying. It's it's almost antithetical because planning, technique, and planning as it regards in regards to economics, in regards to warfare, in regards to politics in regards to manufacturing all technique is applied here mm-hmm. here here mm-hmm. here here but he's like but planning not th- not planning not it's not planned no one knows this it's all hidden and no one in power who's planning is a, is like applying you know so it's like it's not like he's really saying that but it seems like it's almost like he doesn't there's something yeah. about him writing. he doesn't want to say it and it's it's interesting to me that that would be a central idea. It seems to me, if I were Elul writing this book, I'd be like, and I was afraid to say that, I might not say, it's central to my thesis that there's no planning involved. I might say instead, I wonder how this fits in. Mm. I'm not going down a conspiratorial lane, but here's everything else in this kind of looming question about, you know, the evil planners well that's so but then but then being imagine though being kaczynski being sat down and being abused having basically mk ultra psychologically tortured for three years i'm pretty sure the whole this isn't directed by anybody it's not a plan it's is going to fly right out the window as you're being brutally tortured for three years and you're going to go no i know who did it these these are the people that are pushing forward. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, there's something odd well, about the whole take. It's interesting that you said he left it out purposefully because it would be unwise Maybe to publish to something. It. Yeah, like yeah, that. that's what I'm thinking. Like, he's, your people get assassinated. Maybe I just don't want to say, you know, I just want to make it clear right from the beginning of my book. I'm not saying anyone's responsible for this. I'm not pointing out any bad guys here. Yeah. Now, let me explain how the whole world is being controlled by a depersonalized concept known as technique and it's like well okay but also but and then i'm like as soon as i fig- as soon as someone reads my book couldn't they just wield it couldn't they just now i know so i can use it you know what i mean it's like now i can use it to my advantage sure i don't know maybe. It's something odd about the whole thing well i was gonna say on the other side of the coin it's very jungian like people being animated by spirits or ideas rather than the opposite way around, like people choosing which spirits and ideas to animate. Um, And there's something about that kind of thinking. Like actually a lot of these things are unconscious and they operate at the collective level, kind of like very akin to Jung's collective unconscious idea that, you know, who knows how the school of fish moves? You know, where is it, where do you pinpoint the direction or the coordination of that school of fish or a flock of birds? You know, you can't, there's something collectively unconscious that might be why he left it out is that it was he knew it would be too difficult to make the case it's just like the consciousness thing in the ai course like look i mean she might as well have said we've been trying to figure out consciousness for four thousand years or more no one's made a single 
step of progress. Every single theory has its merits. Every single theory has its downfalls. And you have even modern day philosophers like the guy that wrote the Robo Mary thing who were like, oh, I know. There's things that are non-physical that affect the physical. This seems logical. And then literally a couple of years later, that guy walks back his whole argument. It's like, actually, wait a minute. I thought about it again. And that wasn't right. That wasn't right either. So it's like, we just can't move forward. Everything is like, now, wait, wait, that's not right. And the only way forward is Dan Dennett, which is materialism. You're just, conf- you're just confused. Don't pay attention to yeah, that. Just yeah, keep yeah, yeah, going. Yeah. Just keep going. Don't even bother. Well, so yeah, the other thing I wanted to bring up, which was interesting is, uh, this kind of meta narrative uh, writing style that Elul has in the book, and so I think people tend to be critical of this type of writing that goes outside, you know, quote unquote, someone's domain of expertise, as you would say today, where people will be like, "You can't talk about that because you're not, you know, an ordained expert in that area," and so people are tend to be skeptical of people who write in a bunch of different areas in an integrated way, although that used to be a much more common way of writing. And so it's interesting because I think, you know, listening to you talk about it and hearing some of his ideas, Alul's ideas, I think you can see some truth in them and you can see how it does apply across a lot of different contexts and different areas. And so there's value in it. Um, And that is kind of an interesting point. I, you know, wanted to bring this up actually because I think it's interesting that people – that is also part of the culture today is that people are like unwilling to speculate about things and people have to be relegated to like certain areas of discourse. It's like I feel like people need to read something or hear someone else's thoughts in order to parrot them back to you instead of having their own original thinking about any topic. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's kind of weird, though, because then you start to wonder, like, are any of my own thoughts ever actually my own, especially as I'm being exposed exactly. to like, an endless number of things? So you're like, I don't even know. Well, I think nothing is, like, truly original, but it's, like, derivative. You know, it's, like, creatively new, like jazz, you know. It's, like, it's not a completely new thing, but it's, like, a, you know, an iteration on something. Yeah. And that could still be creative, I think. Yeah, and there's probably things that could be done to actually forestall some of this craziness. But it's like there's so much going on all at once nowadays that everyone feels like any attempt is futile and everything's overwhelming. But there are like these lawyers, like there's a lawyer uh, that Monica Perez on the Deep Dives podcast interviews all the time. And his whole thing that why she loves him now is because during the COVID lockdowns out in California, he found, he basically discovered a loophole to keep businesses open. And that's all he did. I think he did a lot of them for free, even like he was just like, this is fucked up. And that's the kind of thing Mm. where this guy is, lawyers are good at this. They stay in their fucking lane a lot of times. A lot of the big ones, you know their names, they do not stay in their lane. But the ones that are just out there grinding away and are like autistic or whatever is wrong with lawyers, they're the ones that are going to make that like that makes a difference you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it's inspirational and then you just a guy that no one knows about this doing this and then monica perez has you on her podcast and then other people now hundreds maybe thousands of people have heard about you and not that you're doing hundreds of thousands of things but you're but you're doing something and it made a difference and it's like because we're all so detached there's so few of us that are like that out there because there's a million things that need to be addressed. Why in God's name is marijuana still illegal in like fucking 
10 states in the Southeast, like once it starts being dig, dug into, if someone would just dig for five fucking minutes, you would find the, the culprit, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's some kind of pharmaceutical lobbying, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to find, just like when they, we talked Government about this, they legal reefer madness, right? They legalized alcohol sales on Sunday just recently in the mm-hmm, South mm-hmm. or in Georgia. And it's like, but they didn't allow it before noon. Why big church or whatever sure. you want to call it big, you know, because the donors and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, so you just, there's with so many things going on, people feel like, how do you pick a thing? You know what I mean? Like, it's just so overwhelming. Yeah. Well, I think um, we lose ourselves in the complexity. If you try to analyze every issue or everything kind of individualistically and under the microscope and don't see how it's related, you know, you miss the forest for the trees, literally, I think you end up awash in complexity and nuance and you think that everything is highly nuanced and highly complex, which it is in some sense, but there's also at the root like a deeply integrated reality that things are related to one another. And so I think, you know, sometimes we miss that with, with our science seemingly today and um, like scientists don't, you know, talk to each other. I mean, how many times do you hear the word like cross-functional in business too? How many How many times do you hear this, the saying, stay in your lane? Right, silos, yeah, all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's almost... How come psychologists and neuroscientists won't fucking talk about each other and they both think each other's fields are complete bunk? <laughs> right, right. And yeah, you know, yeah, you hear all this stuff about, uh, you know, people feeling isolated and, you know, needing to reach across the the different silos of work or whatever in different fields and business and whatnot. And so, yeah, but I do notice it too. There's like also a personal impulse kind of like to your you know point is that we could marry both this idea, um, like this integrated, you know, high level abstract phenomenon with personal motive. And I think it's like courage or something on a personal level. Like what I see is that people are afraid or unwilling or lazy too lazy to say what they actually think and to put thought into something. Or overworked. Here, let me, I thought you would like this little paragraph. I don't know. It's like the Lord is upon me oh. or something because I just keep opening to pages that I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I was looking for. It just the Lord open. is with us. <laughs> the Lord is, di- is directing this podcast. Okay, so the Lord is this our is director. a long one. This is a long one, but I think it fits with our whatever the theme of our podcast is in a general sense. (laughs) I don't know, but this seems to capture something in there. So it says, for primitive man and for historical man until a comparatively late date, work was a punishment, not a virtue. It was better not to consume than to have to work hard. The rule was to work only as much as absolutely necessary in order to survive. Man worked as little as possible and was content with the restricted consumption of goods, as, for example, among the Negroes and the Hindus. Sorry, outdated book. Hmm. Uh, A prevalent attitude which limits both, and he was obvious, that was just a term at the time. It was not being disrespectful. Uh, He's a Christian, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Um, A prevalent attitude which limits both technique of production and technique of consumption. Sometimes slavery was the answer. An entire segment of the population did not work at all and depended on the labor of minority of slaves in general. Wow, that sounds interesting, honestly, just because it's not that different from like the elite class today. Like they don't really work. And then, 
you have that's why we class. work so yeah. much that's why we work 12 hour days five days a week sometimes seven or or more hours and more days uh in general the slaves did constitute a minority we must not be misled by imperial rome greece under pericles or the blah 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 okay i'm skipping ahead the time given to the use of technique was short compared with the leisure time devoted to sleep, conservation, games, or best of all, to meditation. As a corollary, technical activity had little place in these societies. Technique functioned only at certain precise and well-defined times. This was the case in all societies before our own. Technique was not part of man's occupation, nor a subject for preoccupation. And I wrote in the margins, ritual, feast, festivals... Damn, there's a part in here where he talks about very specifically gives like an example of like how this would um, manifest in like a very explicit example. And if I remember correctly, because I'm not finding it here, he would basically was talking about like communities, like a tighter community, like coming together to do a thing, you know, so like, God, we need a huge barn, you know, like what a bunch of work. Maybe very much so like the Amish nowadays. Like, it doesn't mean, okay, we'll hire 45,000 different contractors for each little aspect of this thing. It's like, no, we need a big barn. Everybody, everybody, I know you're all eating and drinking the food that we've saved up. We need a big barn, you know, because there's a lot of us. Let's all, we just got to do this thing. It sucks. And so they all do the thing, you know, and then the thing's done. And now we're done. You know, it's like, phew, thank God. And now we have the thing. And I think that that's like kind of obvious, mm-hmm. especially when you look at some of the like not even that distant past, like how f- some farmers, you know, like in England still work or in France and so, like, they're still working farms that have like buildings that are like hundreds of years old because they were like stacked stones. And it's like clearly a dude didn't do that. And clearly we didn't have like licensing and contractors you know like that was a that was a community effort Mm -hmm. of some kind yeah you know that like led to this kind of and it's still there today and we could see it so that's some of the more persuasive stuff where you're like it's is obviously it's different like and he's like how did how why is it yeah what did what's so different well i and he's like well we just kept getting better and better and better and loving the it's like a paradox like we want more and more and more. Well, guess what? More and more and more requires more and more and more. Right, right. It's a vicious and so cycle. You think it's going to lead you to like leisure, but it doesn't, does it? Right. Well, I was going to say, I think you too, could come enslaved to it. There's like some impulse there where, um, you know, the personal motive is difficult to pin down because like there's a, you know, maybe a lack of courage or will to, to speak out or, you know, be your own person or whatever. And I think you see that too, like culturally, like everybody's sort of following the script and like going to college and doing all the things like that we've, you know, whatever the norms are, people follow the norms. And then so you could see how there's some like missing personal motive. And that's like why I said it was a little tricky because it's like you could see that as like personally you're motivated to do that to fit in socially, which is a good thing for you as the individual. But then you could also see it as like, that's a little bit collectively unconscious because you're not kind of choosing that. You didn't choose the norms. And so you're sort of thrust into the norms. Yes. And here, so here's another part that where he's mentioning the same kind of phenomenon of like where, 
where this like originates, I guess. It says even in activities we consider technical, it was not always that as uh, it was not always that aspect which was uppermost. In the achievement of a small economic goal, for example, the technical effort became secondary to the pleasure of gathering together. Formerly, when a New England family uh, convoked a B, quote-unquote, which is uh, a meeting for working in common, so they would come together and like, we got to do something, mm-hmm. I was just saying. <laughs> Build that barn. It was for... It was for all concerned one of the most pleasurable times of year. The work was scarcely more than a pretext for coming together. The activity mm. of sustaining a social relations and human contacts predominated over the technical scheme of things and the obligation to work, which was secondary to causes. Society was free of technique. And even on the individual, on the level of the individual, technique occupied a place much more circumscribed than we generally believe because we judge in modern terms... Uh, we believe that production and consumption coincide with the whole of life. So that's what I was trying to read. And that's what I think is up our alley or definitely up your alley where it's like, it's like this way now, but like, it doesn't seem like it has to be this way, but it seems like we could still do work, but how come the work is so crooked? Like something's wrong. And he's like, yo, it used to be a pretext for gathering. So like when you have to build a big structure, I know this because I build structures by myself and it's, the worst i fucking hate it but i don't really hate the work it's just that it's so hard by yourself but if i had a bunch of friends and i'm like guys i have to raise a barn or i've got to build a building and it's like okay like let's get let's get the beer let's get the food let's make it a whole thing exactly and we'll just do it and it'll be fun and then when it's done it's done and then we can benefit from the fruits of the labor you guys can go back home and if you ever need me to come help you build one we can do that exactly no it's so interesting you say that because that's how i've literally talked about work before i've like described it in this way where i'm like i just think work is a vehicle for you to have relationships like social relationships and it's so interesting because i actually brought this up to one of my coworkers at a former job when I was working at MailChimp. And I said, you know, I was kind of unhappy with my work there. And I said, the point that I made was, I see work as a means to have relationships with people. And so I don't like working alone and having no interactions with anyone. And then just, because I would do these research analyses and then just send them to people. And these people wouldn't want to interact with me, wouldn't want to meet me, wouldn't want to talk about it. And I was like, that's very demeaning. Like that makes it seem like what we're doing here isn't about our relationships. It's just about these research decks or whatever. You're just turning a mental exactly. bolt, a data bolt, and you're going, okay, I've turned the bolt. Someone else has got to put it on the vehicle, I guess. I don't know what you're going to do with this, but I, don't you care how much work went into it? No? Okay, bye. Right. And I'm like the kind of person that's like, oh, it's so interesting. Like, we'll talk about it. You'll have some interesting perspective to share. Like, we'll both grow from having a conversation about it because... Yeah. You you didn't do the research, so you're going to misunderstand it completely. I can correct you when you tell me how <laughs> what you think I think I said and how wrong you right. are. Right, that, yeah. of course, too. And it was just so interesting because this this woman's response to me, and this is a more tenured person, like she's more senior in her career. So she's like, you know, someone I would look up to kind of in that sense. Like this is someone who might give me advice on how to approach their career. And she said- Or fire you. Yeah, or fire me. She wasn't in the position (laughs) to fire me. But uh, she said, you know, well, I don't really want that from work. um, And I don't really care about that. And I just thought, wow, like that, it struck me as deeply sad. And I was like, that's so hopeless. Like as if this person is so yeah, but jaded. Did the, quality, did the quality of her work show 
that that's how she thought about it? No, no. I mean, it wasn't like she didn't care about it like I cared about it. And the quality wasn't the kind of quality that I took with the work. Yeah. Right. But that could be a byproduct of that. It's like, oh, like yeah. if I'm just, you know, There's just to be like, loop there. Because it's like I, when I used to work at Walmart and I was like a manager, I felt the difficulty in motivating people to do something that felt ridiculous. So, one thing you have to do in retail stores all the time, and I'm, when I say all the time, I mean every single day, because technique has taken over completely. And so, Walmart, especially, is always adjusting its prices. Just like minute adjustments. I'm telling you, sometimes you have... So what you do is you go scan all those fucking items that they want the na- the price changed on every day. And you print out these labels. Sometimes it's whole sheets. Every single Tuesday, this was the worst. This is a little bit different, but it's the same concept. It's like every Thursday or Tuesday, I have to go in at five o'clock. And if you've ever been to Walmart, they have the DVD section. Well, that's the day because technique that all the new shows or movies or dvds get released on dvd so you have to go to every single dvd pull the tags out throw them away pull every single dvd off the shelf and move them over however many new movies are coming out because they go on the front so three or four new movies are coming out well you pull out every single thing put those three or four in and put all of them back and put all these new labels in because you got to move labels, the prices are changing. I mean, it's just oh constant every day. So it's like, and then you have these people that are making very little money at the time, like over minimum wage, I guess, but barely. And you're like, guys, I'm responsible. Like, so the best motivation was like, I had to get them to like me because the most motivating thing was not your paycheck. Mm. The most motivating thing exactly. was- Hey, if you don't do this, I'm fucked and I can't do it all by myself. Yes. And a lot of shit I did have to take over and do myself. Yes. Because that's mm. the technique of the hierarchy within an organization is that like, so it really was had to be based on a social interaction because there was nothing I could say about Walmart and how much it cares about you or any of the right. stuff to Walmart's convince just them an idea. that this is worth your time. <laughs> right. Right. I'm the wall. I'm the living yeah. embodiment of Walmart here right now. <laughs> yeah, like I'm gonna get in trouble, or you, I'm, they're gonna tell me to get you in trouble, and that's all I can tell you. Like we just have to do this, and you have to do it faster right. and better. No, I learned this lesson all the time. when I was a drum major in high school. When I I became a drum major when I was a sophomore, which is very rare. People don't typically become drum majors when they're sophomore. What is drum major, though? What That's like that? on a marching band when you like conduct up in front of the band, you're like leading them. Like you're like the mini band you're director. Like... So mm, there there okay. are three of us um, drum majors. Different bands have different amounts, but, you know, anyway. So there's like three kind of le- leaders of the band, and you lead the band in parades, you conduct them, you organize lots of things, you speak to the band, you know. There's lots of things you become the leader of the student org essentially which is smart you're like the quarterback of a team it's like guys come on teamwork we got to do this together we really all got to do our best here or this isn't gonna work right right and i was thrust in the position when i was younger than a lot of the people in the ensemble so that's unnormal so you're ted kazan right unnatural because you know typically you'd want to you know, put the the older people, the elder members of the ensemble into that position. But it's, you know, merit-based. It was by a tryout or whatever. And then I ended up getting it. And what I realized is that, you know, people 
people weren't going to respect me because I wasn't just because I was a senior. You know, like they might respect you just because you're a senior um, in a lot of other scenarios. Right. But I didn't have that luxury. And so it was like, why would people trust me or respect me or think that they're, you know, should do what I think we should do? And so it became very meritocratic. And that's where I feel like I really learned about servant leadership. And it's like, well, I have to be the example. Like if I want someone else to do it or if I think that this is a good thing, I should be willing to do it and that I should, you know, demonstrate through my effort that this is, you know, something worth doing or whatever mm. and dedicate time to, yeah, the, exactly. to the institution. You know, so it's like I would spend a lot of time. I would come in early. I would leave late. And, uh, you know, so it wasn't like people could say, you know, I like just eliminated any excuses people could have for like why I, you know, was someone they shouldn't listen to. Yeah. 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 At least all the easy reasons like, well, he doesn't work as hard or he right. doesn't deserve it or any of that kind of stuff. You know, it's like because I think that's a feeling at Walmart because you are surrounded by idiots all the time on every <laughs> right. level. And you're like. I don't know why I'm listening to you. Why, like, I don't know why you're yelling at me. You're a loser too, just like me who works at Walmart. Uh, right, and that's true in business too. Like, you're just surrounded by a bunch of people because people are just people. You know, it's like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting. Yeah, it's Kaczynski. So I don't know if I ever made my meta point there, which is. Once Kaczynski experienced that, it's like, of, co of course. It led to you would, whatever happened, the unibombings. Yeah, you fully reintroduced this idea that, like, something's wrong and someone's doing it, you know? And I have a good idea who did it because I was held captive for three years and tortured. Yeah. Essentially. Well, it you is know, it's thorny. like, so don't tell me that nobody's doing it. You know, that it's not planned out, that there's not people help that ought to be held responsible. There aren't people at the forefront of this spearheading the psycho, the psycho whatever. Yeah. Well, it's so thorny because I think on some level you can see like if there are people who need to be held to account and they're not being held to account by our standard operating system, the law, the police, whatever. And if Ted Kaczynski decided to, you know, hold people to account it's like, well, it almost paints him as like a hero. You know, like he's taking up the civic duty that others have abandoned and foregone. And so there's something kind of like virtuous in that reading. But then I think, you know, people will say, well, violence isn't the answer. And so what he did was wrong. And I think there is some way of reading it where you're like, I think this is a little bit like rationalistic thinking gone too far, like you've abandoned your relationships. Um, and he did, he, I mean, literally abandoned all his relationships. He went out and lived in Montana, like off the grid, like no social contact. So I think there's something like, well, that's not quite right either. Like you haven't integrated this with like a social community and into your relationships. Like kind of, as we were just saying, it's like building the barn together. Well, that's what had been done to him was like completely, they completely isolated yeah. him. Essentially. That was the experiment was like you're isolated, we're the boss, and you're a loser. You're a loser. You're a loser. Right. Nobody likes you. Your ideas are bad. Your ideas are bad. Your ideas are bad. Look, all of your peers think you're dumb. All of your professors think you're dumb. You'll never make it. You're never going to be... It, meanwhile, you're like a 17-year-old professor of mathematics, and you're like, I don't think I'm an idiot, but like, what's going on? And it would be totally isolating. You'd become... I mean, I think there's yeah. that impulse to be like, dude, I'm like, literally I'm surrounded by idiots. I can't, there's nobody, like there is no community for me. Mm. And what like, which is like what Elul was pointing out was like, 
that's just how people are, you know, now, like if you're not engaging properly with technique and with all this, what a fangled, newfangled stuff that's going on, then you're not even, you're not happy. Then you're not, well, good, then you're yeah. not anything, and you know, and be, it just like breaks down until you're like, oh, well, what do I do? Yeah, with partly that's like the Atlas complex or whatever. Like we're all upholding these systems. We're all participants in it, even though no one individually feels satisfied by it. But the solution, which would be like relationships in a community outside of it, it's hard to get that to work because you need the commitment of other people. And so you can't just leave individually. Like you can't shrug individually. Like the weight of the world falls on you. You're an outcast, you know. Um, yeah. It, it's more like, a, it, maybe it's like a either more like or maybe a combination of Atlas and Sisyphus. Right, yeah, something you know, like that. Because Sisyphus... Sisyphus, the the one who deceived the gods, you know, was cursed to roll to for to do never ending pointless work. Like you just keep rolling this boulder up to a peak, and it just rolls back down. And you just have to roll it up again, roll it up again, infinitely, forever. And for what reason? Like you just tried to pull one over on the gods, basically. And what are the gods? I don't know. In the story, it's some other stupid shit that the Greeks believed. But in reality, like maybe the gods are like what's true and what's right and what's best really not what you think is best and true and right and when you abandon that and try to trick that into try to make that those things your slave rather than your master then what you really do is curse yourself like that's what we do with technology like we're just going to alleviate all everything we don't even have to drive anywhere it'll drive for you like that's an impossible feat, you know, like you're and you're just going to end up enslaving yourself and pushing a rock up a hill forever because you can't it's not real. You're you're trying to enslave the gods. Well, you can't do that. That's an argument for simplicity, you know. So as things progress and get better, complexity also increases. And the pernicious thing about complexity is that it also increases dependence. And so the system one, you become increasingly dependent on it, but two, it also creates more work to maintain it, kind of as you were saying earlier. And so there is an argument to be made for simplicity, which is a little more difficult, I think, to make than the progressive argument, which is that, no, when things are simple, you can maintain them better. You know, they're easier to maintain and they're more uh, maybe fulfilling to maintain because they you can see the whole picture, so to say, uh, speak or whatever. Versus being the cog yeah. in the machine, yeah, yeah. But with all the with the technique touching every portion of society, even if the concept the the technique is applied in order for simplicity's sake, so we have like no oh my gosh, like, you, you <laughs> can't like, like too, I guess. You, you can't have like an ice cream in your back pocket in Georgia on Sunday or some crazy shit, and it's like clearly this law was written for some reason it was just like if we just outlaw this we don't have to deal with this problem anymore whatever the fucking problem was but it's like so you might think like you know a hundred years later here we are and we're like maybe we should write laws with sunset rules where like the law goes away eventually but why would you it's good for technique to not do that we just you know we it's for the technique of control for the technique of maintaining order if we have a thousand ways to sunday to get control of somebody, whether they spit on the sidewalk, whether they were chewing gum, dancing on the street, whatever. If there's, you know what I yeah. mean? It's like, why, 
why get rid of that when you might need to take someone out? You might need to rein someone in. You might need to uh, enact some control over the situation. Yeah, because that's efficiency. It's so interesting. It's applied in every little corner. Too. Yeah, the point you made earlier about like not wanting to work, like how he was saying in that technical society book, like oh, you know, it used to be that. Work was not virtuous. Like people didn't want to work. Like you want to sort of minimize work and have time with friends and family and leisurely pursuits. And so much so that there even became like a, a slave class of people that we just offloaded, you know, a certain group of people offloaded all of their work onto another group of people. That's how desirable it was not to work. And so I think you see that too with like, now those people are called CEOs. Right. That's what I was going to say. It's like you see that today, too. And uh, that's kind of the thing that annoys me back to the all-in people, these billionaires. I'm like talking about working hard. And I'm like, I mean, in some sense, like you do organize a lot, but it's like mostly cognitive work and it's mostly just you blathering. You know, it's mostly just talking. So it's hard to hear that when like... It's shaking hands and making right. other billionaires feel like they like you or exactly. you like them. And it's very rewarding. Easy and you can see how people, like if you've ever been in a corporate setting, like so many people, I think this is the underlying impulse for the majority of people to go into management is because they don't want to work anymore. They don't want to do whatever they were doing. They just want to be the manager now. So I can just tell right. you how much work you need to do and I'll just sit back, you know, and relax. So it is, it's a weird, it's a hard thing to to figure out because I don't think that... See, I think because we don't, I, oh, I don't even know. I'm just making this up. But like maybe part of it is that we're so individualistic and non-communal based. So like no one wants to raise the barn together. You right. Know what I mean? They right. don't want to do that. And so. Or they don't just, know the value of it. Maybe they're just ignorant. I think that a lot too. Yeah. And, and well, so we end up with like, you know, what do they say? The idle hands of the devil's workshop kind of thing. You know, you don't want to do, we, we like to do stuff. We just, we do like to do stuff. And so I think. That starts to look to me like, and you know, the iteration of that over just individuals in the population becomes economy and productivity and maybe even something like industrialization because whoever's working on, you know, hand making the table, there's someone else whose industrious nature leads them to technological improvements with tools and that that continues to be iterated until... I actually made a tool that does what you do, but does it faster and better. And now you don't need to do that anymore until that's been done so intensely that that job disappears completely. But I think that what that ends up doing is not as interesting as people think it is, which brings us to that conversation we had about the cobalt stuff. It's like, you know, sometimes there's probably a lot of examples where we think that that's been done. And that like we've just if made efficient something to such an extent that like it was wonderful and it eliminated jobs and that's the worst thing right. that happened is that it just eliminated some jobs, but they can get new jobs, blah, blah, blah. Well, ultimately, or we're like saving the planet or whatever. Well, we as we know with like every single item on the face of the fucking planet that has a battery in it is extracted by slave labor and child labor in mines guarded by managers with, you know, AK-47s that'll shoot you in the face if you show up there to take a picture or shoot you in the face oh if God. you're going to get the mine shut down. Yeah, get, well, there's lots injured, of stuff like you know. that, too. Like, I mean, you're just surprised, I think, to learn how much, like, stuff in China, all this stuff that's made in China, a lot of it goes back to, like, literally 
people making stuff by hand, like in factories. Like I used to work at a fireworks store and the firecrackers, we ran out of them one year and they were like, yeah, it's because the Chinese women who roll these things in China are on strike. And I was like, Chinese women hand roll these things? We're selling them in quantities of like the billions. What are you talking about? Chinese women hand roll these firecrackers. Yeah. And and how come I can buy one for... It seems like one should cost, like a, <laughs> yeah, a bottle exactly. rocket should be $20, I guess. It's hand-rolled, like artisanal ancient <laughs> Chinese technology, still God. done the way they did it 4,000 years ago. That's amazing. <laughs> so, so, but yeah, that's, that's, I think, part of the big trick. Like, that's the more Kaczynski take on it, which is like, no, I'm going to look at every little piece of it and go, you're not even really right. Like, this is just, you're not even doing, you're not even doing what you think you're doing. And then, like, I get to a even further to Kaczynski level, which is where you look at, or like that fucking guy that wrote that book, Siddharth, whatever Kara. his name was, Kara. Yeah. Literally, literally, that was Cobalt he was making Red. a Kaczyns- a Kaczynskian point. He was like, literally talking to Joe Rogan about. It. That's where I heard about it first, and he was like, Joe, do you think that the acquisition manager? doesn't know you think that you think that he does not know or the head of supply chain or whoever yeah yeah, the guy that's procuring the cobalt from the cobalt mines you think he doesn't know where the cobalt comes from you think they think that it's like free trade green technology you think they think that really that's unbelievable and even if we go there i have video and a book right, of the right. direct evidence that it's not that. And I've offered for free to risk my life yet again to show them right, right, what is going on. So you tell me. So that's like, that's where I think, that's why people I think can read a book by a guy that's like, the solution is to blow these up and go, well, you know, he is right. Yeah. But we're just, we don't really have a taste for that these days, you know? Well, that's so interesting because I do think that, like, people will be like, violence is always wrong. And I just don't know that I agree. Like, back to the point, it's like sometimes the tree of liberty has to be refreshed with blood. And you're like, what does that mean? And Jordan Peterson has said it also by saying, like, enforced peace does not equal non-conflict. Like, there's going to be conflict. Now, whether or not people can... Uh, manifest that in a certain way in terms of, you know, violent or debate uh, or whatever it is. Uh, That doesn't mean that you can get rid of conflict. uh, And like, it's just a fundamental part of human nature. And so I think there's something about like, when people say this stuff, like, oh, it's bad because it's violence. I'm like, well, violence is going on all the time all around us. And sometimes, uh, like, righteous violence, you know, like, Holy war. Like, what is that? You know, like, maybe tyrants have to die. Maybe heads have to roll. I don't know. Like, that sounds really crazy, like me saying that. But (laughs) Well, I think that ethos stays with us. But what happens is, like, okay, so they, capital T, they, registered trademark, they, were able to find Ted Kaczynski in the middle of, have you ever been in an airplane and looked down and seen how much land is on the ground? It's a fuck lot. I mean, it's so much land. You get so high up and you can't see any human things. You can't see anything. You have a hard time finding a mansion in the middle of Montana from the sky even. You're like, there's so much to fly over. I don't even know where to look. And if I get too high to see too much, it disappears on the ground. So 
they find back when television sets uh, took up half your living room and had crank knobs on the front of them to change the channel. Oh, my God. Uh, back when that was a thing, they were able to find one guy in a shack with no power, no utilities, in the middle of the woods. So that's what they were able to do back when TVs had crank knobs on them. <laughs> my God. Nowadays, <sighs> they can do even more amazing things they can find you even quicker or so they want you to think and maybe it's true but what did they not shut down they do not shut down the outlets the pressure relief valves that don't matter and who are attacking the wrong people black lives matter protests back the blue antifa right well even if there's like a virtuous notion in those movements i feel like it gets drowned out and they just let the maniacs they're talk most, or whatever it's mostly fbi <laughs> they're infiltrated they find they can find you in the woods you know they can find you in the woods so in the middle of montana with no connecting power like there's no link to you <laughs> in the world except for very few social relationships and they find you so i think that either they can or they can't find you. I don't know. But I know that they don't care to actually stop those pressure release relief valves that where you get where the outlet is a is there. If I and just in case I get that notion, just in case I stumble across the idea that something's gotta fucking give and I'm gonna go do something. Well, where do you go? Uh downtown in a big mass of people that are yelling and screaming at the wrong people and attacking other citizens. That's acceptable. Right. Not even one message either. Just nonsense usually. Like so much. It's just chaos. Like what would even be the point? It's hard to even articulate what these people want. <laughs> Occupy Wall Street was something until it was nothing. Right, exactly. And it was nothing as soon as it was infiltrated by intelligence, FBI, CIA, whoever it is that gets in those organizations and confuses and muddles the water or takes the lead and makes and points in the direction to charge, which is the wrong fucking direction. And it's how they tried to point like the perfect example, the Gretchen Whitmer case. Right, right, right. It was like 12, 12 of 16 accomplices in 12... 12. Oh this is like the fourth time you've made this point. Accomplices. You are still on this. Were the FBI. Oh they God. were FBI employees and informants. That's how it works. Right. And what? Like how many was so it in the, the March on the Capitol? There were a bunch there, too, that they've just come well, out. Well, there's like... Yeah. Well, yeah, they tell you one story, and then... Somehow the truth comes out later for some reason, and they're just like, well, yeah, we did have this video footage of the uh, people in charge taking the ropes down and going, okay, guys, this way, come on in, here's your tour is ready, time to go, time to go, let's go look, and then you have like footage, uh, thank you, Tim Dillon, for bringing it to the masses of Alex Jones going, don't be a dumbass, Right. Don't do those things that they want us to do. Peaceful. Don't touch anything. Don't touch each other. Just chill. We're just here right, right, to be right. here. And, you know, like this all comes out and you're like, okay. And the story they tell is the opposite. So because as long as they can, it's, I don't know what they do that for. Is it a pressure release valve? Is it like, okay, let these people freak out for a second, misdirect their attention to the wrong 
culprit. They'll get, they'll eventually go home and then this all goes away. There's no problem, no harm, no foul. And we'll arrest half of them just to scare the shit out of people and keep them in solitary confinement. Yeah. And it's like, well, to, that's all there is to it. To your point at the beginning, I do think there's a emotive element that we, it seems like we want to erase it in our culture. It seems like we're unwilling to talk about, uh, yeah, motive and how people might have bad intentions. Like Fauci might have had bad intentions. Like there might have been people in the administration who did want to harm people or the American public or were motivated by their own personal self-interest. Like I don't know why it's unacceptable to even float those ideas. Like I've heard prominent people be seem even afraid to even suggest that those things might be true. And I'm like, well, people definitely did get harmed. So that part is just a fact. Um, Even if it's the most <laughs> simple explanation, like just financial gain, we've we've all seen the memes floating around of all the individuals that are CEOs and head of like Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, all these vaccine and pharmaceutical companies. And then they put them and then they're like, here's their position in corporate <laughs> oh life. Yeah, exactly. And then they show their position in government life. And it's like, oh, so... He goes to be the head of the FDA to approve the pharmaceutical drugs that he just fucking developed at the pharmaceutical company. Then when his term's up as the FDA head, he goes back and works again for that company, makes 50 gajillion dollars. And then when that's done, he comes back again. And they just do this. It's literally they call it the revolving door between everything. Big pharma, military, industrial complex does the same thing. Weapons manufacturers and head of state. You know, I mean, this is completely and utterly psychotic and corrupt and very simple and on its face and blatant and it doesn't need any further explanation we just got to put a stop to it and if you're Tegazinski, i guess you go i don't know what the fuck to do no one's listening i guess i'll just have to kill him or something you know what i mean like it's yeah. it's not even like a it's not a big jump to imagine yeah, somebody gets but... there it's just like if you really care right what do you do like if you really do care i mean right I would never, but I 100%, it makes, it makes total sense to me. Right. I'm not advocating those people. Senseless. No violence. violence. Here's a better idea. Get that list of people that do go through the revolving door. And I don't give a single fuck about all the bullshit excuses that you can make. I can make them up for them. (laughs) I could give them the best defense. Right. Put them on trial. At a certain Literally, at a certain point, it stops fucking mattering. Just because someone was allowed to do something because there wasn't a law preventing it doesn't mean that that person isn't a Just because it's legal to kill people with medication doesn't mean it's okay. Right. And when you're funneling from the head of the company that kills people with medication, we call them side effects and adverse reactions. It doesn't matter what the fuck you call it. Look at the opioid thing. Do you think that the revolving door didn't have play a role there? Of course it did. Take all of those people from the top to the bottom and throw them in a fucking jail because they are the problem. Well, they are the problem. Yeah. Get, give them a trial and then throw them Go. in jail. Because I think that's the other thing too. It almost seems like, yeah, we are, it's like we're being, uh, I don't know, gaslit where we're trying, I feel like there's this impulse to get rid of trials because they're so defunct and corrupt or whatever. And I'm like, that's one of the most important institutions we have because like even during the Nazi era, there were like Nuremberg trials for Nazi scientists, you know, like 
Now we are like throwing people from Afghanistan into Guantanamo Bay for not even a charge. So it's like, what's changed in our society over the last 50 to 100 years? Is a lack where, of accountability. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the deep state or whatever you want to call it just taken over completely because like after 9-11 and weapons of mass destruction, we invaded the wrong countries. Like they were literally like, here's the list of countries with the bad guys. And then it's like, okay, we're going to go invade this list of countries that we haven't mentioned yet. And it's like, uh, that's a war crime. Where's the responsibility? Like in reality, as funny as Bush was, uh, <laughs> he's a war criminal. Words. Yeah, he's a war criminal. You know, like, and so is yeah Biden and Hillary. And uh, we came, we saw he died. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, she just guys, guys, there she is. That's the one. She just admitted it. Just there. Just there. Get her. Hello. It is really is anyone... crazy. Yeah, there's like no <laughs> accountability. And it's like everybody seems to point the finger at someone else in an increasingly complex matrix of people and organizations and whatnot. And it's like, well, no, at some point, like the decision does rest with someone. And so someone should be held accountable. And it's like, if it's not the president at some level, it's like, you know, and I don't know. And maybe it's not because I think you know, at some level, like the deep state really does kind of probably just wait presidents and administrations out. They're like, we'll just get what we want because you're only going to be here for a little while and I'm going to be here for life. So, I mean, we're supposed to believe that this guy, this Biden guy, in the words of Sam Tripoli, got more votes than chocolate Jesus. Obama. That's what that's the official narrative. The Biden was more popular and got motivated more people to go out and vote than Obama, like Americans, America's Jesus, according to hmm. somebody, not me, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just a weird, it's yeah, like, I so I, I just think that that's means that the whole thing is like, I think they've perfected getting their guy, basically. They get what they want at this point. Well, and I how mean, literally, there's been a hundred years of getting of zero accountability for anything. We have awful choices too. It's like I mean, people. It's so crazy to me that people say this stuff and then don't even hear what they're saying. Seemingly, they'll be like, "Well, you know, I hope this Republican or Democratic candidate can get the party ticket, but it'll probably be this person, which we don't want." And then it's like we'll probably end up with a runoff with these two candidates no one likes. And it's like what? How is that even yeah. possible that we have a system where the people running for president are candidates that the public doesn't even want to be in the race? What? <laughs> like, yeah, or when like uh, Ron Paul wins Iowa in the Iowa caucus, uh, so and then crazy. they, and then they show uh, some other guy's picture and say some other guy's name. It's like that's fine, no problem. Yeah, keep moving. Yeah, I don't know. Bothers me, that's for sure. I mean, maybe we should read Kaczynski's book, see what it says. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, if it's so right, you know, I feel like we could read it and figure out how to not bomb people. Like, I feel like I... Yeah. Yeah. No, I... Uh, we should read it because, uh, yeah, there's something I don't want to... It's so interesting, this feeling I'm having right now because I'm like, I don't want to... Uh, 
advocate for violence, but at the same time, I'm like, but it's not that simple. It's not that all violence is wrong. And I feel like even saying that is like not acceptable somehow. But, and I'm like, I guess, you know, that's why we have the courts, you know, is to handle the sensible, what would be otherwise be sensible violence. Um, yeah, but you'll never get brought to court for war crimes if you're the president of the United States and they and you did what they said. But you will have years of your life and years of your financial gain stolen away from you if you have a small amount of marijuana or if you even on a federal level. OK, let's like compare federal for federal. If you had two ounces of marijuana, you had one marijuana plant, you know, this is um, this is worth all the effort in the world and a whole bureaucracy and a thousand employees. So that system seems that our legal system seems at least currently, if it's not set up this way, it's being enforced this way as protection. Right. For the elites right. and for exactly. a cudgel against the just regular people who are being utterly abused by these psychopaths at the top, like Fauci and that other idiot that wore the scarf all the time and Bill Gates <laughs> and Pfizer CEOs and Moderna yeah. CEOs and Johnson and Johnson and all this. And then they'll do one fucking boogeyman with the opioid crisis. And they're like, oh, my God opioids the Sackler family I don't give a fuck about the Sackler family if you didn't know that opioids were addicted you're an idiot first of all because all you gotta do is take one one time before it even fucking hits your stomach you're like I could do that again immediately (laughs) forever it feels amazing so like this the data has been out there for so long that I do think they should be held accountable because they were corrupt and pieces of shit yeah that's fine accountability that I think but yes but what's a thousand times worse than that is this whole scam vaccine bullshit we just went through that's been that is now admittedly was a scam. Admittedly was a scam. Admittedly. They don't even fight you on that anymore. You can say that shit on YouTube, basically. Oh like my God. Yeah. what's going on? Yeah. When more gaslighting. And so because all it does well, just it like it's another pressure release valve. Well, we'll make these guys the scapegoat. Okay. Well, there's a thousand more goats or whatever the fuck. There's a thousand <laughs> more criminals out there that you're just going to ignore now. Just like, the, okay, a better example. Jeffrey Epstein, he's arrested for running an elite pedophile yeah, ring yes, yes, with the heads of this. state and politicians and CEOs and all these rich people. He gets arrested and we act like that's all we needed. No, no, he's one guy. We need... All the other people, you know, all those pedophiles in the book, get them now. That's like, why are people satisfied? And so it does, it that can give you a vibrating, like, violent feeling inside where you're like, wait, there's pedophiles running the government. At least somewhere, somehow, there's a problem. And we're not addressing it even slightly. But the whole world, people, they will move mountains if you grow four pot plants in your backyard. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they'll move mountains to fuck over, you know, some like private bank somewhere to just, you know, just like these, these things that aren't part of the, they'll move mountains to make sure that the word Ron Paul does not show up on the screen 
that is supposed to be displaying the winner of the Iowa election, you know, who was Ron Paul. Move mountains. We could change, we can get the, you know, it's like, oh my God. Like, that's how it feels. You're just, oh my God, what the fuck is happening? Like, what? And it makes me feel like doing the Ted, because not the violent part, but like the part where I'm like, bye, everybody. You're fucked. I'm going to figure out how to not get fucked because you're all going down a road called fucked. <laughs> it's the road to hell. You're all screwed. We're all screwed if we keep doing this because you're letting psychopaths run everything and you're literally supporting, you're praising them. Like you're, you literally are giving them medals and calling them heroes and they're actually fucking murdering criminals. So, yeah. I don't know. Bye. Got to go. Got to check out. I'm going to go figure out how to make sure that when those guys you're feverishly defending and supporting shut down all the, uh, you know, food supply line here soon. When they shut down, here's what's coming. The next pandemic is going to be, in the words of Klaus Schwab, a cyber pandemic. They're going to fuck with something. They're going to do all this stuff again. You're all going to be fooled. You're all going to go along with it. All of my family, who I just explained exactly what was going on during COVID, they didn't believe any of it. They thought I was overreacting. I was exaggerating. It all came true. Now they all know I was right the whole time. I was never wrong. I was always right from the very beginning. Everything I said was true. And I wasn't saying a lot. A lot of people said things that weren't true. I never said there's snake venom in the tap water. A lot of people did say that. I said something else. And what I said was true. And now they admit that it was true. But nevertheless, when the next bullshit comes marching along and they pull off another bullshit and I go, well, guys, remember that thing that just happened? This is just like that. They're all going to go, no, no, that was that. This is this. This is different. It's different. It, we promise it's different. It's like, it's not. It's the same. They're going to just keep doing this because they can. Because we now know they can. They can do it. Well, they just more like did because it. They, they just know, keep, quote unquote, they can. But I'm also hopeful that they won't be pulled off again. I think a lot of people are wising up to the fact that these people are wielding unruly yeah. force. You want to hear? You want to hear a wild conspiracy that I really like, but I don't believe. Oh but my God. if it's true, that'd be amazing. Okay, well, we'll have to end the show with this because I got to go. But what is this? Okay, so you remember this thing that Trump did called Operation Warp Speed? Yes, get the vaccines out fast. As soon as, very fast. <laughs> so there's a, there's a theory that because Trump is Batman, he's like a hero, right? He knows what's up in a way, you know, he's a little corrupt, but not as corrupt as the rest. That's the somehow the theory. I don't know. Seems I'm not I don't buy something like that. Yeah. Who knows? I don't buy any of this, but I there's if it, it's Whatever. very interesting because <laughs> you do have you do have to wonder about Operation Warp Speed. So what did Warp Speed do? It made them they which this time it was like the pharmaceutical corporations and FDA, WEF, or W World Health Organization, you know, all these, who the who and all this, yeah. And Bill Gates, all these psychos. It made them pull off something that they wanted to, to, to try to pull off gradually over like a 10-year time span. He got them to pull it off at breaknecking clips. Like, and you know... 
that so the theory being that fucked everything up it made it really really clear it okay apparently not for most people but for a lot of people there were so many mistakes made they made they contradicted themselves from day to day you know they could not manage all of these pieces of this huge grand conspiracy because they were having to pull it off at a warp speed they were having to go so fast with everything that it just it, they would expose themselves that's the theory mm. and the that's like so trump wasn't willing to come out and go hey these guys are really bad folks uh they're doing really bad things and it's he's uh, it's that guy there that guy over there this guy here fauci bill gates uh pfizer Monero ceos all that he couldn't just sit up there and do that so he in the background was like Oh, I know what we'll do. Yeah, you guys are right. This vaccine is really important. You're right. We need to get this oh out gosh. at warp speed. Give it to them. Get it out there. Quick, quick, quick. Go now. I demand that you get it out as fast as possible. Because that was always this thing that what people would hold against Trump. was like, well, he seemed good, but he was all for the vaccine. Maybe. Interesting. It's but like maybe this is the best. Defense of like reputation. Yeah. Yeah, like 5D chess or or whatever, or you couldn't, like he would have just been taken out, you know, if he's out there, you know, every, the whole machine would have come against him all at once. So I think it's an interesting theory. Interesting. I don't know, even if it was an accident, uh, it seemed like the, the effects of that seemed true, you know, like. Sure. It came out, yeah. did, this whole thing was pulled off so quickly that people were like, wait a minute. That's what I was going to say. That was say. weird as shit. I don't know that it's, uh, yeah, like uh, all of this Trump and other people and Trump versus the right. establishment. But, um, yeah, I There's think. There's no evidence for it. Yeah, there was. There's evidence for the contrary. Such a movement so quickly with so much uh, totalitarian policy that I think it really drew into question the government uh, more so than. Like I, because I think some of the things they did were not that out of line with things that the government does all the time. But because there was so much so quickly, it became like very apparent. I think to people, myself included. I mean, it's yeah. difficult to convince people that like a, a gazillion people were dying that quickly. You know, it's like, oh, there's a new cold. Oh my god, millions of Americans died. It's like they did. Excuse me. Right, that was like, so crazy. About? I can't Where? Even talk about Where that. did they die? Like, what are we even talking about? The death about? rate was. Well, I just heard something like recently from year to year. It's insane. The, yeah, COVID kills you. If you look at it, all mortality less... from year to year, it's like no different between before the pandemic and now, or during the pandemic and now. It's like Lit we're not literally in a pandemic. I don't even know. Age what's going is on. a better. Age is a better killer than COVID, literally, because the average age of death from COVID was sixty was, plus. Was yeah. like uh, was bet was like you know what I'm, yeah. I can't I can't remember how the, to put the words but you know like it was just everything about it was just like totally totally bizarre, and people started to catch on. I think I mean because and now it's like. Well, and you can compare it to like real pandemics like Zika virus or whatever. They shut that shit down quick. Like we didn't even know about that. Was that even real? Or was it just another one of these scams where they were like, don't have babies? I don't know. I mean, if it was real, if you just take them at their face word, it's like, where was that kind of operation for COVID? You know, like if you guys can shut down Zika, which was much worse, you know, 
What? Like COVID? Monica's told me <laughs> that in Africa, they have they have to put up signs that say things like, Ebola is real. Why would they have to say that if a shit ton of Africans don't believe Ebola is real and they're like, why the fuck is Bill Gates over here injecting everybody? Weird. I don't know. I've never heard about so that. So I don't think we... We don't get the full story on this shit, you know. Oh, like you have, for there's sure. like yeah. marketing campaigns to pull this kind of shit off all over the world, and the cross the cross pollination of media is highly controlled. Interesting. I don't know about that. I do know about like the campaigns to like convince people in third world countries that uh, powdered milk, like infant formula, is better than breastfed milk. That is literally a thing that happens, which is actually scientifically false. Um, but it is scientifically in, false you know, and ads. well known. Yeah, well known scientific. So these are the same. It's the same people. They're evil, maniacal, and will do anything they can get away with. And I don't know if David Sachs is going to save us. <laughs> Conservative. That's, that's my point. Yeah. Whatever the fuck he is, I don't know. But you listen. I I listen to that guy, and I'm like. Are you for real, dude? Because I don't even agree with everything that he says, and it, which is fine. Like I would not expect to agree with anything with everything anyone says. Like that wouldn't make any sense. So I'm like, I'll let you be wrong according to me over and over again. I don't care. But it, I want to have hope that there are guys out there that just aren't down. Like they're not in on it somehow, you know? Yeah. And when they are in on it, the. Like, I'm even okay with them being tricked into being in on it. You know, like, I think Friedberg from the All In podcast, that other billionaire, I think that he is like essentially a little bit self deluded, but a true believer. They, he seems authentically to believe what he says. Like the scientific you know, green revolution, chemical food is actually going to help all of us and save the planet, and yeah, because be good he's for humanity. Be, and he's obviously an idiot in that regard. He's, but I think he's like a totalitarian, just like right the dictator. I mean, he's spending uh, yeah tons of private dollars investing in this stuff. I mean. That is on the face of it. The investor class of people is like a dictator class of people. They decide where investment dollars get spent in the community. And by the way, they're spending it on things like investing in chemical beverages and lab-grown meat. And you're like, can we invest in like, I don't know, like like actually clean energy or like revivifying the power and water systems and the sewer systems in our cities and like farmland and farm equipment and... I just they tell us so that it's impossible <laughs> to make a price a cost effective mechanism to desalinate ocean fucking water. Really? Really? We can do things again back when the television was uh you had to crank a big fat knob. Your microwave had a twist dial, like a timer. That's how the microwave worked. That these are the days we're talking about and people the same people that believe that they flew to the fucking moon, God, got out. We're going deep. Okay. Got back in the rocket ship, came back home again. Uh, we can do that, but we just cannot figure out how to 
get away from having to buy water bottles from Nestle if we want clean water. We just can't figure out how to get all the fucking chloroform or uh, (laughs) chlorine, (laughs) bleach, bleach, fluoride, uh, all these different chemicals that they're pouring into water. We just can't. (laughs) Well, they put like uh, water. You're gonna pass out. Flora something. I mean, they put shit in there. Fluoride. I'm just saying, chlorine, and yeah, there's, they're whatever. like, oh God, the, we're going to, ru- remember when they were saying we're going to run out of water? Like, give me a fucking break. The Most of the planet is water. We're going, to, you can figure out, okay, you get it. Look, Elon Musk go. is digging tunnels under the <laughs> earth and there's um, oceans worth of water we could be drinking if we could just figure out how to do that cost effectively. The television used to be a, a jillion dollars. Now you have a television in your pocket that costs a fraction of the price of a big box television that used to sit in your house in the 70s. So technology gets cheaper. Figure it out. Stop fucking around. But it's not good for power, so they don't do it. All right. All right. Well, that's the show. <sighs> that's it, guys. <laughs> gonna go now. Stopping this recording. God bless Erica. Thank you.